When it comes to Israel, here's what I do know. God chose Israel to be his people through an everlasting covenant made with Abraham that began in the first half of the book of Genesis. Jesus came, if you remember his own words, to the lost sheep of Israel. He ascended into heaven in Israel, and when he comes again, he will come down on the same mountain he went up from. God isn't done with Israel, but what exactly that means is debated by every Christian associated with particular denominations, especially to this day. Well, while I'm not sure exactly what all of God's plans are, I am sure that we should pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are enduring, pers enduring persecution. Thank you. In Gaza, right now, there are roughly a thousand Christians. Can you imagine being a Christian living in that country? Like, here's something that you won't hear on the news or in the media, but God himself makes a bold statement about the nation of Islam. God makes the statement that they will forever be at war with their brothers. That's something that you need to understand. Like for whatever reason, I'm not sure people debate this too. I'm not sure were they created for that purpose or do they just choose that purpose? Now, does that mean that every Muslim person that you ever meet is a terrorist? Absolutely not. That's absurd. That's absurd. But they, for whatever reason, in, in, in their religion alone and the way they handle themselves and the things that they believe are in direct opposition with anything that is Judaic and anything that is Christian. And it's not because I'm saying so. It's because God declared it. I'm not exactly sure of his reasons and those types of things, but I am sure what he says about them. I, know, I also know, though, that just because they're Muslim does not mean that they're not capable of responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, through evangelistic efforts by Christians throughout the ages, there are a thousand Christians right now living in Gaza. And they endure persecution every single day, whether Hamas and Israel are at war or not. The hospital that was bombed, regardless of who bombed it, who didn't bomb it, has always been as, and is still to this day a Christian hospital, providing medical treatment to the community. As a matter of fact, even though the Anglican church is largely responsible for it now, the people in Gaza still write about it, and the majority of journalists still call it the Baptist hospital, because that's what it's always been. The only evangelical church in Gaza, this is, this is amazing to me. I don't know. Maybe you won't find it that interesting. But Gaza Baptist Church still meets and shares the gospel, believing God can reach the people of Gaza with a life-saving message of Jesus Christ. Do you think that church needs our prayers? 
me and you. In Israel, there are approximately 200,000, some reports even say as many as 300,000 Christian brothers and sisters who live there. And what's crazy is 78.5% of those Christians are Arab converts. You know why they're in Israel? Persecution. It's the only place they could live free of persecution. If you live in Gaza and they know you are a Christian, they will kill you. A month ago, 100,000 Christians became refugees and fled to the country of Armenia to escape persecution, are now living there homeless and without a lot of the aid necessary simply because they profess the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want generations to be about. I want generations to be a praying church, but I don't want our prayer schedule to align with the world's political schedule. We're going to draw the line. We ain't going to worship Israel. We ain't going to worship Gaza. We ain't going to worship anything but the name of Jesus Christ. Do you understand me, church? We're not going to stop what we're doing on a Sunday morning preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because Israel is at war. Does that not mean that we're going to pray, that we're not going to pray for them, that we're not going to go to the throne on behalf of our Christian brothers and sisters who are living there, on behalf of our Christian brothers and sisters who live in Palestine and all over the world on a regular basis? I hope that is a part of your prayer life. Stop letting the news determine for you what you should be praying for. Why does the government still regulate the church? That's, my, that's what's alarming to me. I've had people reach out to me and say, why aren't we praying for Israel? My question to them was, I am. Why aren't you? Like, what are you saying when you ask me that? You haven't asked me to pray about the hundreds of thousands of aborted babies already in the year 2023. You never, you never said anything about that. You never said anything to me. Do you go to the website, Voice of the Martyrs? Christians are dying for their faith every day. No one came to me and said, hey, why aren't we praying for? Like, where do we draw the line? This right here does not exist without Jesus Christ. It belongs to him. What I'm called to belongs to Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong to any country or any world event. Do you understand me? You got to be careful. You need to be very careful when you exalt anything to any other place than the place it deserves. And especially, don't share with it the throne of Christ. Your stance on world peace will not be questioned on the day of judgment. Your stance on Israel or Armenia or anything else will not be questioned. Justice, you ne none of that will matter if Jesus Christ doesn't know you. But I want to say something to you this morning. It's kind of a continuation of a couple of weeks ago. If Jesus Christ does know you, brother and sister, that changes everything. Do you understand me? There is a passage of Scripture in Revelation 
that I believe is greater than any last-second game-winning touchdown home run goal. You graduate. I ain't, can't believe that child could even read, much less graduate from high school. Any event you can think of where you lost your ever-loving mind. There is a passage in Revelation chapter 5 that I believe the entire church needs to be told to calm down because of the way it reads. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. It's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what he represents. When you get there, say, got it. Revelation 5.1, John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. Now, unless those seals are broken, everything God has planned for the end times and for all eternity does not start, and all the atrocities happening all over our world, all of the evil running rampant continues unless these seven seals be opened. So John says, I see this book, and it's sealed. Verse 2, and I saw a strong angel, the implication, not even he can do it, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. John says, then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy. No promise of God moves forward. No release from the pain and the suffering of sickness and persecution. No end to death and its sting. No justice for the righteous and the innocent murdered throughout history for all types of reasons. Nothing changes. And so John wept because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. There is one worthy in heaven who can bring about the promises of God. There is one worthy of heaven who can bring about deliverance from death. There is one worthy in heaven who can exact justice and righteousness and mercy and compassion. Behold, a lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. John the Baptist stood in the desert baptizing and preaching a gospel of repentance. And as people would come, especially those who were religious, 
said to them, what have you come here to see? Did you come here to find the truth? Did you come here to find deliverance? Did you come here to find gospel? Or did you come here to find, is this true? Is this real? I I ask you this morning, church, what, what did you come here to see? Who did you come here to meet? Who did you come here to worship? Why are you sitting in these seats this morning? Behold, there is a lion from the tribe of Judah. Does that matter? Does it matter? Let me tell you something. First of all, I believe that it is possible for a personality to exist that is the equivalent of a lump on a log. Have you ever heard that terminology? I remember it being used around sports practices for me. Son, are you going to do something? You're going to sit there like a lump on a log. Apparently sit here like a lump on a log. Listen, if, you, have you, has any, if you've ever gotten excited in your life, would you raise your hand? Put your hands up if you have. I'm trying to see who the lumps in the. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Have if you've ever cheered loudly, and what some may define as wildly. I understand that term's relative, but let's just try to reach some common ground where you became a little loud. Someone in the next room might have heard you. If you've ever cheered wildly, would you raise your hand for anything? Have you? <laughs> Angie's like, I got both hands up. How many have you ever cheered wildly as a result of a sporting event? Would you raise your hand? Cheered wild? Donna Hood, you have? You hit a home run, Emily? Oh, I remember them days. That's right. You used to be the softball queen, girl. I remember that. How many of you have ever cheered wildly at a concert? Like you went to a concert, bro, and you just worshiped that person. Ooh. How many have you have ever cheered wildly at a graduation? You know, maybe because you were so proud, maybe or maybe because it was like, it's a, I'm, I'm witnessing a biblical miracle. For, for me, I'm not going to say which child, I was witnessing a biblical miracle. God does exist. I, I, I want to know, I want to know, I want to ask you a question, but I want you, I want you to, in the name of Jesus this morning, be released from shame or guilt. I just want to, I want you to be thinking about something. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. Was the sporting event better than that? I'm confused. Was New Kids on the Block better than that? Was Bon Jovi better than that? Was Justin Timberlake better than that? Were the Temptations better than anybody young enough? Of that? Was the miracle of graduation better than that? Behold, there is a lion from the tribe of Judah. Do you know who John is talking about? Oh, 
Well, maybe he'll score again. His name is Jesus. Listen, I understand that some of you are under the shackles of denominational tradition. You are brought up in a church where no one moved, no one did anything unless the priest told you in the way that he motioned you or in the way that he commanded you. But you know, you all just sat here in this room and admitted that that is not the nature with which you were created. When you're in the moment that you feel is worthy, you lose your mind. What I'm proposing this morning is that the lion from the tribe of Judah is one of those moments. People need to come to church and be very uncomfortable. Not because we're staring at their mainly wonder what we're doing here, but because when we're in, what is going on in here? Listen, I went to this one church. They mentioned the name of Jesus, and you would have thought Marshawn Lynch had gone into beast mode and scored five touchdowns in one possession, which ain't even possible. You see, the reason why the world isn't phased anymore by the church is because we're not even crunk and excited about what we say is the greatest thing ever in the history of the world. There's inconsistencies. Listen to me. You are not Methodist. Huh? I'm going to get all of you. You are not Lutheran. You are not Episcopalian. You are not Presbyterian. You are not Catholic. You are not Baptist. You are not Reformed. You are not Evangelical. You are Christians, children of the living God. When you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, God's not going to have it separated in denominational lines. The worship service where we sing holy, holy, holy is not going to be divided. Well, we want the charismatics up front because they get it. And we're just going to let it trickle all the way down to the Lutherans and the Catholics who just, if we don't tell them, they're just going to. Listen to me. There is going to be a worship service unlike anything that you have ever seen anymore. Let me tell you something. In perfection, the word holy of the one who's worthy of it is, is a song enough. The seraphim have been singing the word holy, holy, holy since they were created. They're not complaining because the music don't change. They're not complaining because I'm tired of that song and I've sang that lyric and I'm If we forget why we're here, we need to close this place down. Do you understand me? I, listen, understand what I'm saying. I want a church that is crazy for Jesus Christ. And you're going to respond to that. Not because I'm the pastor and I said, I want a church crazy for Jesus Christ, but because you literally just told God, you are worthy, didn't you? What did you mean by that? Do you understand what it means to say you are worthy and you are worthy alone? Do you understand what we're saying, church? We are saying your name, Emmanuel, 
God Almighty with us. You are worthy of that name. And it's not just this Sunday because we're talking about it. It's every Sunday. Every, when we come back next week and the message is different in terms of the words I'm using, it is still no other name by which mankind can be saved but Christ and Christ alone. Nothing's ever going to change about that. We have got to stop letting our flesh, stop letting the government, stop letting our schedules, stop letting all the denominational influence, the traditions that we grew up in dictate who we are as worshipers. Do you know what's inside of you? The Holy Spirit that literally, for lack of a better word or description, is the fog of all of heaven. Inside of you is uncontrollable and uncontained. It is a consuming fire. The nature and characteristic of God is the nature and characteristic of the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. The lethargy, the apathy, the lump on the log, demonic influence that we sometimes allow to control us during worship doesn't come from that Spirit. As a matter of fact, God tells us it'll be burned up by it in the end. What you're fighting against is not your knowledge of God's Word. It's not your knowledge of Scripture and worship. It's your flesh. Your flesh is dead. Your flesh is dying. Your flesh is decaying. The depression that you experience is not in the Spirit of the God living inside of you. It's in your flesh. The anxiety that you struggle with is not in the Spirit of God living inside of you. It's in your flesh. When you hear the name of Jesus and you don't lose your mind and fall out, I'm not saying all of the charismatic stuff, which we add because it's hyper-emotional. I'm just talking about the, the fact that it doesn't stop you in your tracks. I went to a wedding last night. The sweet old man was the officiant. He'd been a pastor his whole life. He gets up to pray for the meal. And he prays this prayer. I don't even know what he said. I'm sure he blessed the food. He gets to the end, and he says, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, and he loses it. And I thought, that's it. That's the fire of heaven missing from the church today. That's why we're so distracted. That's why we miss it. What is our Christian response to the political climate. What is our righteous response to the religious climate, to the economic climate? There's three things I want to leave you with this morning that I believe are the church's responses to everything going on in the world, period. Number one, we pray. We pray and we pray and we pray. Prayer changes everything. Not the act. Not the act, but because of the, the hearer. 
because of the object. Because prayer is directed to the living God. Amen? Listen to this story real quick from 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm just going to read it to you because the whole story is not in there. Set the scene for you. Elijah has fasted and prayed. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Elijah has fasted and prayed. If God brought him food, he ate. If God brought him water, he drank. He stayed at the foot of the same mountain for three years, fasting and praying. And God told him at the end of that three years that it's going to rain. He sent his servant up to the mountain and says, do you see anything? It's a crystal clear day. God said, it's going to rain. What do you see? Nothing, 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 nothing. Keep sending them up. Keep sending them up. Keep sending them up. What's, what's fascinating about faith is it can look like this. At one point, Elijah's servant goes up to the top of the mountain. He goes, hey, way off in the distance, there's one cloud the size of a man's hand. Let me ask you a question. If you were at the beach and you got up in the morning at the beach, and you walked out onto your balcony to assess what kind of day you're in store for, if you looked out and saw one fist-sized cloud in the distance, what would you think about the day? It's about to be awesome. You know what Elijah did? At the sight of one fist-sized cloud, he prepared his garments, and he sprinted to the king of Israel. And he told him, God's going to bring rain on the earth. And you know how God brought rain on the earth? You know where that rain started? At the top of Mount Carmel. Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel. And he challenges. the. At that time, Israel was to say that they had turned from God is an understatement. They worshiped Baal. The, relig the national religion of the nation at that time was Baal worship. And Elijah says, you have everybody, all the prophets of Baal, meet me on the mountaintop. Here's the thing. When you take whatever it is that the devil sets against you to the mountaintop, it goes there, and it doesn't meet you. It meets, meets God Almighty. Elijah goes up there, and he goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have two altars, and we're going to make a sacrifice on those altars. And whomever fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, that will be whose God is God. You know the story. The 500 prophets of Baal, they're walking around the altar. Please send fire. Please do something. Elijah's taunting them. Yell louder. Maybe he's taking a nap. They're cutting themselves. The blood is running down their bodies. Do something. Nothing happens. Then it was Elijah's turn. The Bible says in 1 Kings 18.36, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac. Ooh, what a statement. And Israel. 
Today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Isn't that an interesting statement? Let them know, O God, that you've turned their heart back. You see, already there's this understanding that there's, there's this war with the spiritual realm and the fleshly realm. And there are times when we need to be reminded, just like this morning, that God has turned our hearts back to him through Jesus Christ and that the flesh that has had its will for so long is no longer Lord and God of your life. Amen? The Bible says at the completion of that prayer, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. They poured seven giant water jugs of water and built a moat to contain all the water. And the Bible says, and licked up the water that was in the trench. It's a consuming fire. It's not a fire that you can build. It's a fire that is I am. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Prayer changes everything. Prayer also helps us endure anything. Prayer helps us endure anything. Matthew 26, 39, and 42, Jesus went a little beyond them in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his arrest, torture, and death on the cross. And he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus also desired a movement of fire from heaven. Yet not as I will, he prayed, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Wow. Even then, keep watching, and here it is, and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit inside of you is willing, capable, perfect but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. The problem with prayer isn't that it doesn't work. It's that we go into it thinking it doesn't work because we didn't get what we wanted. That's not a prayer problem, church. That's a heart problem. Sometimes we don't get the answer we want, but we always get the answer God has for us and the answer that we need. Amen? We always get the answer that we need. Remember, I'm not talking to someone who might can. I'm talking when I pray to the only one who can. Do you understand that, church? Whether he gives it to me or gets me through it. Do you understand that? Prayer can change everything. It can bring down the fire from heaven to awake my soul, oh God, that I might turn and worship you. But it can also get you through something that God has decided for you in this season. My grace is sufficient. What do we do in response to the events that happen around us and all throughout the world? We pray. We pray. 
Prayer changes everything. It gives us strength to endure everything. Number two, we keep preaching the gospel. Keep proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until Jesus returns, there is no other mission. There is no other calling. There is no other purpose. Proclaim it. Proclaim it. Proclaim it. It's the greatest story ever told, and it never gets boring. If you disagree, you're boring. I said something one time, and I stand by it to this day. This kind of statement really separates a Christian from others. But I said this, love without Christ is sin. And that bent people all up because we're a fearful, anxious, worried, scared, tentative, whatever word kind of people. And what I want to be able to do is I want to love you and meet your needs and dip and just hope that somehow you look into the heavens and hear God say, that was because of Jesus. And so I said, love without Christ is sin because it is. It's a denying of the reason why you're even capable of that love. It's a denying of the reason why you performed that love, not because of me and because I'm generous and because I'm good or because I'm blessed, but because of Christ in me who desires to dwell in you. What do we do in response to the world and to the tragedies, not just in the, in the nation of Israel, not just in the nation of God's chosen people, but all around the world? We pray and we keep proclaiming the gospel. And then number three, and finally, as the band comes forward, we trust in the Lord. When it comes to everything else, our faith is in God. Amen? Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, profound statement of what it means to trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Is that difficult? Absolutely. You're hearing that word right now, and maybe this morning, in ways that you haven't been in a long time, you're excited about that. You're passionate about it. Jesus is greater than whatever is anything else this world has to offer. Any event or any blessing, anything you'll ever receive, nothing is better than Christ. And the Spirit of God inside of you, believer, resonates with that. And you are jacked up this morning being reminded of that truth, being reminded of the consuming fire that is the Lord of your life now that lives within you that no longer succumbs to the flesh. And when you hear that, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I'm like, yeah, sucker. Lean not on your own understanding. I'm not even good at leaning. I'm so top peppy. I just, yes, on God. I'm going to walk straight out of this room and be all bent out of shape, worried about stupid stuff. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's why Jesus went to be alone. It's why Jesus fasted the way he did. It's why Jesus, Jesus Christ needed fasting. Jesus Christ needed prayer. You try to fit it in if it works out. If it don't, eh, maybe next time. And we're wondering why the devil's making such headway, not just in the church, but in our own hearts and minds. 
We have an opportunity to trust God this morning in ways that we never have. Like some of you talk, talk, talk to me about how you appreciate my vulnerability, how I'm willing to tell you I've always struggled with anxiety. I don't really struggle with depression. If I'm depressed, it's usually just a side effect of anxiety. Always anxious, always eked up. I was literally at a wedding surrounded by people yesterday. I was acting weird. My wife said, what are you doing? I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't like it here. I want to be doing something for God. I don't want to just be in this crowd. I tell you things like that. Stephen Bragg sent me the most amazing, thoughtful, encouraging text this week. And I literally replied back to him, and I was just vulnerable. I said, brother, I struggle with aloneness all the time. Like, it's just me. Same way Elijah. I'll come down off of this. This is Mount Carmel for me. And I'll go right into the cave, just like Elijah did after God did that great miracle. Oh, I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. Some of you, 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 you appreciate that vulnerability. And I appreciate that that ministers to you. But this morning, something, something awakened inside of me. I mean, after hearing the testimony up here, I, I, I get down here, and my wife looks up at me, and she says, don't you ever doubt again. And I thought to myself, not the same thing I normally say, because she literally says that every week, but I thought to myself, enough is enough. Like, I'm going to march up on Mount Carmel, and I'm going to stay there. And I may be up there sometimes tired, and I may be up there sometimes dealing with the flesh, but it's gonna, we're not going into any more caves. I'm going to begin to trust in the Lord with all of my heart, not just the parts that I'm, I'm afraid to surrender all of it sometimes because it means my relationship with you might change and it might put me in a place to be hurt and I'm scared because I've been hurt before. But Jesus went to the cross. And I took his spirit into every sin and hurt him over and over and over and over again. And yet there he hung. So, oh God, I trust you with all my heart. I lean on your understanding. Father, I acknowledge you. I trust you to make my paths straight. Would you stand this morning? Listen, I've been studying a lot. About a lot of things that didn't even come into existence until the last three or 400 years. Wasn't even talked about up until then, yet all of a sudden it's, it's the thing. No, it isn't. Never will be either. I don't have all the answers. I'm never going to bring you here and preach to you a doctrine about things at the end of the day. I, I don't know. Well, what I do know is that if I'm not known, what I know don't matter. So I don't have all the answers, but I serve the one who does. I'm going to keep trusting him. Will you trust him with me? Will you trust him with me? 
I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. I'm going to keep worshiping him. Will you keep worshiping him with me? He loves you more than anyone or anything or even I ever will. Pray. Proclaim the gospel. Trust in the Lord. I don't know what to do anymore. Pray. Proclaim the gospel. Trust. I'm afraid the world is about to end. Let me tell you something that I know about the end times. At some point in the, in the future, the world's going to end. That is a fact. If you want more than that, I ain't your man. I know something else to be a fact. One day Jesus Christ is going to return. And every human being, literally, who called themselves Christian since he left has been saying, soon, it's going to be soon. Here's what I'm sure of. Ain't no man walking this earth has any idea. It might be in a second. It may be in 10 years. Praise God if it is. Think about how many more people will know him. We're, we, we, let's don't look so much to eternity that we miss the glory of the righteous ministry we're blessed to have right now. Father, this morning, we're never, I, Lord, this church won't have to fire me. I'll quit. We're never going to come here and preach anything but your son, Jesus. That's the only, that's the, that's, that is the answer. That is the answer. May we be a church that's disciplined in our, in our time with him, not because we're going to show up here thinking there's something special about us because we just had seven days in a row with God. Whoopee, you're still the same person you were when you begin. The difference is you know God more, but you're not more knowledgeable. Do you understand? Don't worship the knowledge. Worship the wise one who created you. That's what we want to be known for. We just want to walk with you and talk with you. God, we know your name. In the name of Jesus, may you know ours. Whatever in our lives might be affecting that, show it to us, God. Christ's holy name. Amen.